a trusted voice of truth and light. The narratives that mislead most of us aren't outright lies. They're the deliberate omission of facts that could give us a more complete picture. And a rally point for those who've accepted the reality that they are not sheep. The world needs your leadership. And the essence of leadership is using your influence wisely wherever you happen to be standing. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Well, hello there. You, my friend, are fortunate enough to have stumbled upon a genuine truth seeker. That would be me. If you're a longtime listener, you already know that. If you're new to the podcast or the broadcast, welcome to The Brian Hyde Show. Our program is brought to you by HSL Ammo, by Pure Light, the most amazing light bulbs you have ever heard of, and you're going to be hearing more about them in the days ahead. Monticello College, also Landmark Risk Management and Insurance. And I've thoughtfully uh, put links to each one of these sponsors in the show notes, which you can find at thebrianhydeshow.com. Lots of great reading, links to every article or every guest that I have on the program, and uh, something that uh, could, could put your leisure time to good use namely uh, fortifying your understanding of the world around you as well as understanding what you can do to wield your influence in ways big and small that actually make a difference. Oh, speaking of making a difference. Hey, Carl, thanks so much for listening to today's show. Carl is one of my dearest friends. I tell him every now and then I'm going to give him a shout out. Carl, today is the day. And if, uh, if luck is with him, hopefully his kids are listening, because I put this in the first, first part of the show. <laughs> Didn't make him listen to the whole thing. Speaking of kids, I don't know about you, but, uh, you know, I'm a kid at heart, and, and I probably always will be. That's, that's one of the things that, that terrifies me the most. As I watch my mom getting older, and, you know, she's 86 years old. She's, she is beginning to slow down. She's reached that stage in life where, you know, she's not becoming more spry and, and you know, more vigorous. And, and that's, uh, that's part of life. It's scary to me because it, it, it's, you know, it's the recognition that we all eventually slow down and we graduate from this existence, you know, to the next and quite frankly, I'm just, I'm not ready to grow up. Having said that, I really hate being treated like a child. I, I, I really hate being treated like a child, unless it's by my mom. She's the only one who has the license to do that. But when it comes to uh, politicians, bureaucrats, big tech, treating us like idiot children, especially to protect us from forbidden ideas, I think we have a very serious problem. And I'm going to be focusing today on how we are being infantilized as a society. We're being treated as children. We'll share a great piece from John Daniel Davidson about big tech and how it's working to protect us from those ideas that could lead our little childish minds astray. But I'm also going to share a story that I hope will will drop your jaw like it did mine. And that's the story of a couple of kids, ages 8 and 10, who found themselves being escorted home by firefighters after a neighbor called 911 to report, hey, there's unsupervised kids out here playing at the end of the street. Lenore Skenazy, who is, uh, she is the woman who has pioneered the concept of free-range children. And she uh, reminds us about how living under constant adult supervision doesn't need to be a government mandate. We're also going to talk a little bit about the growing snitch culture in America since it was a well-intended neighbor who called the authorities on them in the first place. What does that portend for our future? 
And by the way, this is not to get you stirred up about your neighbors and, well, I've always thought that Mrs. Uh, what's, what was her name? Mrs. Crabtree? I can't remember. The, the one from Bewitched. Anyways, the, the, the nosy neighbor, I don't want you to get to, to where you're, you're hating him. I just want you to consider, like I consider, that I don't want to be that person. I don't want to be the one who's, you know, trying to, to start trouble where there is none. And finally, if there is time left in the, this hour of the broadcast, we're going to talk about reading old books. I know, I talk about this a lot, and, and it may sound like I'm just pushing my favorite leisure time activity, but it, it may seem anachronistic, but it's, it's far more than just a way to pass the time. This is how you build your understanding of what came before. And I would, I'm hopefully going to, to make the case that we'd be wiser to learn from the people who actually built Western civilization rather than just listen to the ones who are trying to tear it down. Jeff Minnick has a very timely message about how books and the people who read them are becoming the real endangered species among us. But let's start with big tech and how big tech thinks you're an idiot child who can't govern yourself. That's the headline of an article by John Daniel Davidson on thefederalist.com. And the goal that he is setting out to, to establish here is just that the left's push to censor, block, and purge is part of a larger project to undermine the American ideal of self-government and liberal democracy. In other words, there's some purpose behind all this protecting us from ideas that, uh, that we should not be allowed to, to see. John Daniel Davidson writes, Last week, YouTube removed videos of former President Donald Trump's speech at the recent Conservative Political Action Conference, citing violations of its rules about misleading election claims under its presidential election integrity policy. Hey, did they have that back in 2016, or did they see a need for that then? Just, just asking. Anyway, John Daniel Davidson says, Last week, eBay blocked all sales and purchases of the half-dozen Dr. Seuss books recently deemed unfit for children because they allegedly portray people in ways that are hurtful and wrong. Amazon blocked access to a documentary about Supreme Court Justice Clarice Thomas. Twitter suspended the account of former House Speaker Newt Gingrich. Facebook continued its purge of QAnon-linked accounts, which began back in October. And the cable network TCM announced a program to reframe classic films like Breakfast at Tiffany's, The Searchers, my Fair Lady, which it considers problematic and troubling. Something tells me that everything viewed through their ideological lens would be problematic and troubling. Maybe short of something from Sergi Eisenstein. Anyway, back to the article. That was just last week. John Daniel Davidson says, the growing, the growing movement on the left to censor, purge, block and suspend anyone who expresses disfavored views or any book or film that some might consider offensive isn't just an attack on conservatives or a chaotic war on the past. It represents the single wholesale rejection of liberal democracy, civil society, and the idea of self-government in American history. He says, simply put, the people who will not allow Trump's CPAC speech to be searchable on YouTube do not think you can think through things and make your own decisions, let alone participate in democratic governance. To them, you are only slightly more intelligent than an animal and ought to be treated as such. Now, he says the reason this matters and the reason this illiberal, censorious impulse can't just be laughed off is that the institutions and industries behind all this are incredibly powerful. They control what you watch, read, discuss, and share, even with your own children. 
Now, Disney Plus, for example, pulled a bunch of classic titles from its children's programming back in January for what it called negative depictions and or mistreatment of people or cultures. Are you ready for this? The banned films include Lady and the Tramp, probably because the Italian guys who, you know, give them the spaghetti and meatballs. I don't know. Maybe that was unfairly typecasting Italians. Peter Pan, The Jungle Book, Dumbo. Now, the titles are still available with a disclaimer, but the writing's on the wall. If you want your kids to enjoy the originals, you better buy the DVD now. Now, here the author says, look, let's be clear about something. This isn't about, about ferreting out offensive content or ideas. And it's not about making society more tolerant and inclusive. After all, whether or not something is offensive is relative. This is about taking away your agency, your ability to make choices and decide for yourself what you think. Whether it's about Dr. Seuss or a presidential election. Why would Amazon pull down a well-reviewed and by all accounts fair and sober book about transgenderism, as they did last week to Ryan T. Anderson's 2018 book, When Harry Became Sally? It's not because the book is offensive to a wide swath of the reading public. It's because the ideas presented in it, including the now radical notion that biological sex is immutable and that encouraging children and teens to transition causes irreparable harm, challenges the left's utopian vision for society. In other words, it's not that these ideas are offensive. It's that they're in the way. The people who applauded Amazon for taking down Anderson's book do not want to contend with Anderson's arguments. It's much easier for them if a corporate behemoth like Amazon just blots them out, makes them disappear. Otherwise, Anderson might actually persuade people, or at least some people, that he's right. The transgenderism isn't just morally wrong, but it's also bad for society. And maybe we should rethink our sudden embrace of it. Maybe we should have some honest debate about it and let people make up their own minds. But the left would like to take those kinds of choices away from you, even especially for children's literature. John Daniel Davidson says the hypocrisy of the left in this regard knows no bounds. I'm going to come back to this in just a few moments because we haven't yet touched on Dr. Seuss, and I know that's been on a lot of people's minds of late. The bottom line is this, though. It goes back to something my dear old libertarian friend Jim Lorenz taught me years ago. On such matters, either you decide what you read, what you see, what you hear, or someone else does. There is no middle ground. So censorship, no matter how well-intentioned, probably not the best idea. We'll be back in just a moment. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Welcome back to the show. Just a quick shout out here for my friends at Landmark Risk Management and Insurance. I know that anybody who carries commercial insurance, you know, as a small business owner, is probably wearing a lot of hats, right? Because running a business is not, uh, it's not a simple or, or easy thing. And if you want to be sure that you are covered in the ways you need to be covered, but you're not uh, over-covered in ways that you don't need to be covered, you should probably talk to my friends at Landmark Risk Management and Insurance. I've thoughtfully put a link to their establishment in the show notes at thebrianheidshow.com. Just reach out to them. They can answer your questions. They can help you out if you need their help. And if you don't, I would encourage you, please still reach out to them and tell them, hey, 
Thanks for sponsoring this program. Thanks for sponsoring The Brian Hyde Show. Every sponsor helps, and I do appreciate those who uh, make certain to, to let them know their message has reached your ears. So I was sharing this article from John Daniel Davidson. This is from thefederalist.com, and it's a provocative title. Big Tech Thinks You're an Idiot Child Who Can't Govern Yourself. But this is more than just, hey, let's hate on Mark Zuckerberg or, you know, let's let's hate on uh, Jack Dorsey or any of the other, you know, big tech giants. It's more a question of, are you willing to surrender your agency, your ability to choose for yourself what you will think and what you will see? Because there are those, and, and it's particularly the woke left, but, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't trust the right too far either in this way. Um, anyone who wants to take those kind of choices away from you is not acting in your best interest. Now, he points out that CNN's Jake Tapper, who once championed a publication of controversial images, including cartoons of Muhammad, even though that's deeply offensive to Muslims, denounced Republicans last week for complaining about the cancellation of Dr. Seuss. Tapper was upset because they keep citing beloved titles like Green Eggs and Ham, not the half-dozen books that contain what Tapper calls empirically racist images that are indefensible. Wow, such a thundering pronouncement, but he's wrong about that. This is an argument for another column, says John Daniel Davidson, but the images in those banned Dr. Seuss books are entirely defensible. And he says, to his mind, not at all racist, empirically or otherwise. But of course... One need not defend the content of burned books to protest the burning of them. It's even possible simultaneously to object to the content of a book and the notion that it should be burned for its content. This is a pretty classic, uh, basic tenet, rather, of classical liberalism, and Tapper knows it. He's just being dishonest. In fact, everyone who champions the banning of books, any books, or films, or speeches, or whatever is engaged in a deeply anti-American project to undermine the means by which we form citizens capable of self-government. If you can't be trusted to think through whether the mention of Eskimo fish in Dr. Seuss's McElliott's pool is appropriate for your kids, then you can't be trusted to think through whether the 2020 election was marred by fraud and loose rules for absentee ballots. Likewise, you can't be trusted to make decisions about COVID-19, about whether to get a vaccine or wear a mask, which is why Dr. Anthony Fauci saw fit to lie about mask wearing to the American people at the onset of the pandemic last year. He doesn't think you can be trusted with the truth because he thinks you're an idiot child who needs to be governed, not an American citizen who has the natural right to govern himself. Does that sting? Can I just ask you, does, does it... Does it uh, get your, your hair up a little bit on your back to, to hear somebody say that? It does me. And I'm, I'm probably not the only one, but that's a truth. That's a hard truth. They don't think you can be trusted with the truth because you're just an idiot who needs to be governed. You're not a citizen who can govern yourself. John Daniel Davidson says, When I watch Fauci lie or see Tapper and his peers cheer digital book burnings or see example after example of censorship to protect us from supposedly offensive ideas or images, he says, All I can think of is a line from an interview conducted in 1842 with a veteran of the American Revolution. The man was asked why he fought, and he replied, Young man, what we meant in going for those redcoats was this. We always had governed ourselves, and we always meant to. They didn't mean we should. 
I wish we had that kind of fire in our bellies today. Not because I think violence is a good thing. Just want to clarify that. I think it was more true, moral truth rather than a uh, lust for violence or a need to lash out that guided the founding generation and why they, they rebelled, why they seceded from Great Britain, why they fought to secure their independence. I'm hoping it doesn't come to blows. But historically, there comes a point where nothing else will defend or restore those freedoms that are being taken. And it's not something I want to see because I really, I honestly, I fear my children's generation is, is the one that's going to have to do most of the heavy lifting. I kind of hoped that, you know, my generation would take the hit for them. I don't think that's going to be the case. So, I'll do the best I can to provide the intellectual and philosophical ammunition for people who are determined to stand up for those things that are worth standing up for. With the understanding that we're always looking for peaceful ways to thread these ideas throughout society and to defend them and to persuade people this is the better way. And I understand the odds seem very stacked against us, but um, I'm also a, a very deep believer in the, the efficacy of freedom. I think it's a powerful enough idea that <clears throat> all people need is to be introduced to it, understand the basic principles and practices of it, and it will sell itself. The happiness, the productivity, the innovation, the problem-solving, the blessings of liberty, as Jefferson put it in the Declaration of Independence, those are a very real thing. And, and if I could just confess this to you, I understand not everybody's a believer, but for me, nothing, <clears throat> nothing became more clear than when I realized the connection between what we call liberty, that is the freedom to act without some outside compulsion, and deity. And what I'm saying here in so many words is I believe that liberty is the greatest gift that God has given us. But it's not the kind of gift that you can just take for granted. It's not like handing your kid, you know, the keys to a 500-horsepower Mustang and saying, here, go take this thing for a drive. Oh, and, you know, there's a couple bottles of whiskey in the back seat, but I know I can trust you not to do anything with them. No, it's, uh, it's more a matter of we are at our best and we are able to grow and, and improve ourselves best under the conditions of freedom. But you have to qualify. Freedom is not given to people who are um, bent on just simply pleasure-seeking, for example. And I know there are those who equate this as, well, but, you know, you got to be free to be able to pursue whatever you want. And for some people, you know, I mean, look, for some people, the freedom to do whatever they want ends up painting them into a corner of very bad consequences. Drug addiction, debt, sometimes uh, infidelity or, or sexual crime against others. So, yeah, freedom is not, it's not the do-whatever-you-want attitude so much as you should be free to choose to do as you wish. Anything peaceful should be on the table. And that doesn't mean we, we need laws, you know, to, to regulate people's morality so much as people need to be able to self-govern. The more people are able to govern themselves, the less outside influence they need to keep them in line. Take a look at all the laws we have on the books today and tell me, how do you think we're doing? Yeah, not, not so great. 
But the good news is, these are still good principles. These are still key principles upon which the nation was founded. You know what the ideal was? The ideal wasn't, you know, Republican government. It wasn't Democrat government at this nation's founding. It was something very different. What we had instead was we had the concept of liberty based on moral truth that your rights and my rights are given to us by God and government only comes into existence when we call it into existence for the purpose of protecting those rights. I know I boiled it down and simplified it, you know, so even a child can understand it, but my inner child gets it. And I'm not about to settle for anything less, and neither should you. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Hey, welcome back to the show. I want to send a little love out the way of Monticello College. I will have Dr. Shannon Brooks on the show again here uh, probably this next week. I'll get that set up. Um, Dr. Shannon Brooks is, uh, is one of my favorite people because he is one of the mentors who introduced me to the power of old books. And we're going to be talking more about books before the end of this hour. But uh, if, if you have been thinking about what's an education that can teach people to be responsible citizens, teach them to be uh, responsible for their lives, entrepreneurs, and, uh, and people who are, are capable of governing themselves, go click on the link in the show notes at thebrianhydeshow.com for Monticello College. And I think you will see with your own eyes, and you can read for yourself, what an education for our time looks like. Well, I have a great story here from Reason.com. This is by Lenore Skenazy. She's been called America's most dangerous mom, or America's worst mom, I should say, because she is an advocate of what she calls free-range parenting. This is not uh, anything goes, and, you know, the kids can do whatever they want. Here's some matches. Here's some gasoline. Go have fun. It's about understanding that helicopter parenting is is actually a negative thing in terms of... Uh, raising kids who can think for themselves and can do for themselves. And the story that she shares here, eight and 10-year-olds escorted home by firefighters after neighbors report unsupervised kids. This is a great example of what is going wrong in our society. She says, Nevada doctor Daniel Hansen was at work when two of his boys, ages eight and 10, asked their mom if they could play down the street on their dead-end road. Mom said yes, and off they went to collect rocks and poke around in the stream bed. Firefighters escorted them home. Now, a neighborhood called 911 to report unsupervised kids. To Hansen, this seemed like a waste of valuable resources, as well as the kind of thing that makes parent makes parents second-hand or second-guess themselves rather whenever they think their kids are ready for a little independence. Hansen said before they made it back, the fire department arrived, having received a call from this same concerned neighbor to check on a report of unsupervised children. Now, the firefighters apologized but proceeded to report that they had to legally report to the sheriff's office and that we might be receiving a follow-up call or visit from Child Protective Services. So this good Dr. Hansen wrote up the incident, submitted it as testimony to the Nevada Senate Judiciary Committee, which is contemplating SB 143, the Reasonable Childhood Independence Bill. Now, Nevada is one of five such bills introduced this year. Idaho, Oklahoma, South Carolina, and Texas 
all drafted similar bills expanding upon Utah's 2018 free-range parenting bill. These new laws say that parents who let their kids engage in activities like playing outside or coming home with a latchkey are not neglectful unless they show disregard for obvious, serious dangers or they don't have a reasonable basis for thinking their kids can handle the independence they're giving them. Now, one change from the Utah version is that the basic or that the pending bills do not say a child is entitled to independence only after their basic needs are met. Children who lack some basics may be neglected, of course, but some of them, unfortunately, are poor, and their parents are doing the best they can. They shouldn't be doubly penalized by not being allowed to play outside while mom works two jobs. Now, the Nevada law is co-sponsored by State Senator Dallas Harris, a gay, black Democrat mom of one, and Assemblywoman Alexis Hansen, a straight, white Republican mom of eight, who happens to be Dr. Hansen's mom. But the bill isn't just for doctors' families living on quiet, dead-end streets. Harris grew up in Vegas, the child of a single mom who worked at Caesars Palace. She sees the bill as a justice and fairness issue, as she told the Judiciary Committee on Monday. Current neglect laws lessen parents' confidence, especially poor and minority parents, in their ability to allow children to be independent. In Nevada, approximately 10% of kids are black, but they make up 30% of the kids in child protection cases. Narrowing the vague see-something, say-something law, or neglect law, rather, ensures that a working mom allowing her 8-year-old to bike around the neighborhood needn't fear being accused of a crime. Poverty will not be mistaken for neglect. Lenore Skenazy points out that this past decade, as several childs, or several stories rather of child protective overreach went viral, including the very recent case of Ohio mom Shayna Bell, who was thrown in jail for letting her kids ages 10 and 2 wait in their Motel 6 room while she worked her evening shift at Little Caesars. Well, the public's responded with great sympathy. Undoubtedly, many people are concerned their own parenting decisions could be similarly misinterpreted. That's why the reasonable childhood independence bills are being introduced by such a diverse group of supporters, including bipartisan sponsorship in Nevada and Oklahoma and last year in Colorado, where it passed the House unanimously and was expected to do the same in the Senate until COVID-19 shut things down. The bills being proposed would stop this pointless, scary, expensive cascade of government intervention. Living under constant adult adult supervision should not be a government mandate, says Lenore Skenazy. I'll have a link to this in the show notes. Strongly recommend it. And and on the note of you know the the well-meaning neighbor who called the the authorities because I saw children playing without adult supervision. I'm going to link an article from Doug Casey. This is from LouRockwell.com today. The dangers of the growing snitch culture in the U.S. Now, as I mentioned at the beginning of this broadcast, my goal here is not to to get you in let's find the snitches and punish them mode. It's more to get you to examine your heart and me to examine my heart and make sure that I'm not one of those people who's willing to, you know, call the authorities at the drop of a hat because something isn't going the way I like it. That's not to say that there may not be a legitimate uh, emergency or, um, you know, something that uh, requires intervention on the part of the authorities, but holy cow, have we seen the snitch culture grow in the last year? Doug Casey was asked the question, has the U.S. become a nation of snitches? And this is his response. He says, without a doubt, 
the U.S. is transforming from a nation of whipped dogs into something much worse, a nation of squealing rats. It's because fear is being used by the powers that be to, quote, unite the country, much the way that the inmates of a prison are united. Now, he says, we've always had snitches, of course, starting with the silly little girls in Salem that turned in witches to keeping themselves, uh, uh, for keeping to themselves, rather, or gathering medicinal plants. More recently, the government has cultivated a class of snitches looking to profit from others they think aren't paying their fair share of taxes. And more recently, we've been encouraging snitches to seek out suspected terrorists, which constituted a near-zero threat. Now we have plague snitches. He says, COVID is basically a ghost, mainly affecting old people with serious comorbidities. It doesn't affect kids or young people at all. Anyway, he says if someone is affected by it, they should simply quarantine themselves, the way sensible people do when they have a bad cold or the seasonable flu, the seasonal flu rather. But forget about common sense. He says a relatively minor medical problem on the order of the previous Asian, Hong Kong, bird and swine flus and not even remotely comparable to the Spanish flu should have and could have been left to the physicians of the affected, not the politicos. The Capite Sensei seem more easily swayed than ever, and he says it's brought about some of the most serious societal changes in U.S. history. It's a major cultural shift. Now, some of you might remember after the 9-11 attacks, remember the see something, say something? I think you still hear this sometimes, you know, if, if you're at the airport. And he's asked, was this the beginning of a cultural shift? Where did things start to go downhill? Doug Casey says the roots of this uh, busybodyism on the national level Go back at least to Woodrow Wilson or Teddy Roosevelt. But he does say the trend is increasingly Orwellian. Ratting out your neighbor, that's the type of thing Big Brother would require you to do. Report them to the state for any real or imagined offense. He says it's been correctly said that 1984 was supposed to be a warning, not an instruction manual. And he relates the story about one time when he was in line uh, at uh, immigration. He says, the, the line is snaking back and forth. He says, my carry-on weighed about 25 pounds, so I put it down, and each time, you know, I left it each time about 15 feet before the turn so I could pick it up as the line snaked back. Not once, he says, but twice, somebody looked around like a righteous, busybody citizen and said, unattended baggage, unattended baggage. He says, I did nothing either time just to see what would happen. Most people are really just a standard deviation removed from chimpanzees, pack animals that feel safer when authorities there to tell them what to do. This monkey-see, monkey-do behavior is encouraged by government. Anyways, I eventually passed my bag and picked it up to the next, uh, carried to the next 180-degree turn. I sarcastically said, see something, say something. But he says, they didn't think I was being sarcastic. They thought I approved of what they were doing. It's a great read. And it's, it's something that I hope will at least stir your own soul to consider not being the snitch, not being the person who, who self-righteously is condemning the people around them for something that uh, you may not like, but is still nonetheless within their rights to do. I'll have a link in the show notes at thebrianheidshow.com. Again, this is Doug Casey, The Dangers of the Growing Snitch Culture in the U.S., if there was ever a place to lead out by example, this is it. This is The Brian Hyde Show.
This is The Brian Hyde Show. All right, welcome back to the show. And thank you so much for being part of my growing audience of wrong thinkers. Listen, I'm just going to throw this out there and ask you to please ponder it. First of all, an invite. Please visit my website, thebrianhydeshow.com. You scroll down just a little bit, you will find the show notes. I have complete archives. Uh, for every every podcast that I have, have done and posted, I always put together show notes with links and some annotations about uh, the various articles, the various guests that I have on. And this is uh, strictly to, to give you more resources to better understand the world around us. There's also a link in there where you can subscribe to the podcast which I would encourage you to do. Look, I'm an old-time radio guy. I've been around, uh, been behind the radio microphone for a long, long time. And it's painful for me to admit this, but um, podcasting, that's that's the new frontier. That is, that is where the listenership is. That is where people can listen on their own terms. I still love radio. I always will. But having this as an option, and especially having things set up to where you can listen on your commute, I break the show up into two Nice digestible segments for each hour, each about 20, 22 minutes long. And uh, it just, it, it makes it nice for people who don't have a lot of time to sit there and just listen. But if you're commuting, you know, hopefully you've got some of that time. Here's the second thing I would ask. Not only subscribe to the podcast, but I would encourage you to consider becoming a supporter of this program. By becoming a patron, you can donate as little as a dollar a month, $5 a month, $10 a month. There's a link there where you can become a patron. And I, I so love and so appreciate the people who actually dig into their pockets and, and send donations to help support this program. When you do this, you enable me to focus my attention more completely on what I do here behind this microphone every day. And, and I can tell you, this is, this is what I love to do. This is what I feel like I was born to do. So I thank those who helped me. I thank those who would consider becoming a patron of the show. And, and, and it, likewise, if you have a business you want me to evangelize for, talk to me. There's a place you can reach out and, and send me uh, you know, a communication. And I would be very happy to talk to you about becoming an actual sponsor. All right, let's, uh, let's shift to reading old books. It kind of seems like anachronistic uh, activity, right? Come on, we have all these screens. We've got digital technology everywhere right there at our fingertips. But, you know, it's more than just a way to pass the time. And I think about when I was first introduced to this concept that your leisure time, or what we call leisure time, refers to the time where we aren't actively making a living. In other words, we're not actively earning money, in, in our case, to keep a roof over our heads, food on the table, clothes on our backs, etc. That takes up a pretty fair amount of our time. And leisure time to a lot of people is just, well, that's when I retire to the man cave, fire up the big screen, watch some sports, drink a few brewskis, you know, throw some darts, whatever the case may be. Leisure time, though, traditionally understood still is that time that falls outside of, you know, what the, the essential things you're doing to sustain life. But it was also once considered a time for self-improvement. That was the time to make yourself the kind of person who is fit for self-governance. You know, the one who isn't an idiot child or just a little bit above an animal that needs to be herded around and prodded to go this way or that way. How do you use that leisure time to become a better person? I know it sounds way too simple to be true, but read books. Read old books. 
Jeff Minnick has a really great message about how books and those who read them are becoming a real endangered species. And I offer this article in the context of, I think we would be wiser to learn from the people who built Western civilization than to simply sit back and, and, and endure the torrent of people who are trying to tear down what was built. If you, if you don't know, if you have no connection to how we got here from there, it might be tempting to go along with it. Maybe you'd believe, well, everything that came before us was wrong. I promise you, though, as you read those old books, you learn that there was incredible wisdom. Even, th- even though they got some things wrong, which, by the way, we are getting wrong, too. Things, we have our blind spots. There was a lot they got right. But you don't know if you don't dig and, and read and consider it for yourself. Books and those who read them are the real endangered species. Jeff Minnick writes in the February 2021 issue of Chronicles, a magazine of American culture, Professor Mark Brennan declares, My students look at me in amazement when I tell them I read 8 to 10 hours per day. I look at them in amazement when they tell me they play video games 16 hours straight. Now, Brennan then went on to wonder if his book reading habits qualify him for endangered species status. Jeff Minnick says, two weeks after I read these words, my sister, her husband, and my friend John came to celebrate my birthday with me. All of us are over 60 years old. He says, during the several days that they were here, I offered them a DVD player and some movies I owned for their amusement, but they rebuffed me each time saying they preferred to read the books they'd brought with them or something from my personal library. For three to five hours every day of their visit, they sat with a book in hand, absorbed and whisked away by the story. When I passed through the room while they were reading, I realized that, once again, few sights move me more deeply than a human engrossed in reading a book. But he asks, are readers like these becoming an endangered species? Maybe not endangered, but the Academy of Arts and Sciences has reported our reading habits are waning. They say, as of 2017, Americans spend an average of almost 17 minutes per day reading for personal interest as compared to almost three hours watching television and 28 minutes playing games and using computers for leisure. The average is down about five minutes since 2003. Younger Americans, ages 15 to 44, spent, on average, less than 30 minutes per day reading for personal interest. Now, that article points out that college graduates read more than those with a high school diploma, but even then... Only about 55% of those with advanced degrees had read a novel or a short story in the past year, while about half had read some historical work. Meanwhile, a majority of American students in the 4th and 8th grades failed to demonstrate reading proficiency at their grade level. In studying tests conducted between 2017 and 2019, the National Endowment for the Arts found that reading scores had once again fallen. With so many of our schools shut down by the pandemic in the last year, Jeff Minnick says we can expect those scores to dip even further. He says the Academy report also points out that this decline in books and reading, along with competition from online outfits like Amazon and from electronic books, has brought about a closure of brick-and-mortar bookstores. Between 1992 and 2016, the number of these stores had fallen by about half. With the pandemic having shuttered small businesses across the nation for so long, we can speculate that even fewer bookstores exist today. Despite these grim findings, many American readers, or many Americans remain readers. Jeff Minnick says many of his relatives usually have a book going, and visiting sites like goodreads.com shows that millions of people are still interested in books, some of whom track their reading and finish dozens of books every year. 
In my local library, he says, I see lots of children, many of them homeschoolers, leave the building with bags and backpacks stuffed with novels, histories, and biographies. Whether we read ebooks or preferred hard, prefer hard copies, tackling a novel, biography, or other books bestows enormous benefits in our age of jittery distraction. Reading certain books forces us to concentrate for longer periods of time than we do while sprinting from site to site online. Books like Dostoevsky's Devils or Lance Morrill's God and Mammon, both of which he says I'm in the midst of reading currently, demand the employment of certain analytical skills and close reading that I don't practice when skimming through online articles. And in the article mentioned at the beginning of this piece, he says Professor Brennan mentions his frequent visits, visits rather to the university library where students poke at their electronic devices and ignore the books around them. Professor Brennan says our library serves as a giant study hall with stacks of musty books squeezing out valuable study space. And he says, I joke with my students in class, I could remove all the books from the shelves and burn them on the library steps. No one would notice. Then we could replace the stacks with more sturdy spaces. More study spaces, rather. They laugh, and then they ask me why the school doesn't do that. And he says, I cry. Ray Bradbury, the author of Fahrenheit 451, once wrote, you don't have to burn books to destroy a culture. Just get people to stop reading them. And Jeff Minnick responds, when we make readers of our children, when we ourselves read books, we help keep our culture and our civilization alive. And here's some more good news. He says, we might even have some fun along the way. Last night, my daughter Hannah came to me and was looking for a book to read. And you know what? I felt a little pang of pride. I'm very proud of her for looking for a book, for, for still subscribing to books. And don't get me wrong, she's very adept at the, you know computer screens and tablets and so forth. She knows how to use them. But it really made me happy that she was looking for a book. And even more so that she asked me, what could I read that's interesting? By the way, I did take her through my bookcase. Nothing that I had to offer was particularly interesting, but I didn't really delve into uh, some of the, the different stories and novels that I have. I guess I should take some time. Maybe I'll see if I can search out some for her today. Bottom line is there is no shortage of reading material. It's just a shortage of time to really appreciate it. I'm not complaining, mind you. That's, that's a good problem. But it is a problem. This is The Brian Hyde Show.